My name is Doc Henry, and it is such a great privilege to be with you this morning. The last three months I've been in Malaysia pastoring a church there, and it was a hoot. It was so great uh, getting to spend time there. This next year I, I hope to go back to Malaysia. I'll spend a couple of stints in China uh, doing some things that, to be honest, I just never thought I would get a chance to do things I can't even really talk about in an open setting, but it's just like, wow, what an amazing God. But this morning, getting to spend a little time in God's Word with you is incredible, and I'm thankful for that. And before we get into the book, let's uh, take a minute and talk to the author. Our Father and God, uh, we love this book. We want to learn from you, so we open our hearts. And we ask you to take us right where we are, so many different places, but that you would lead us to the place you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a lady who was just turning 90 years old. And every year she would buy Christmas presents for her children, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren. By the time she turned 90 years old, there were well over 40 of them. So she made a decision. At 90 years old, she thought, it's just too much for me to do all the shopping. So she came up with what she thought was a brilliant idea. She would get a Christmas card and put a check in it. That way they could go shopping and she wouldn't have to do all that work and they could get something they wanted and everybody would win. So she wrote out all the checks and signed them. She went to the Store And she found the perfect card. It was beautiful, and you open it up on the inside, and it said, buy your own gift. So she took them home. She signed them. She put them in the envelope. She addressed all the envelopes. She put the stamps on them. She sealed them, and she mailed them. She was very happy with herself. Over the next two weeks, she saw almost all of her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And much to her surprise, nobody even mentioned her gift. Nobody even said thank you. And she was more than a little disappointed. And then about two weeks after Christmas, she opened up her desk drawer and she saw all 40 signed checks still in the drawer. She'd forgotten to put them in. So when they opened up the card, it simply said, buy your own gift. (laughs) And they thought she had turned a little grumpy in her old age when actually she was just a little forgetful. You know, sometimes you receive gifts and you don't understand the full significance of the gift you've just received. Uh, Sometimes you you don't even appreciate the sacrifice with which it was given. That that can't be more true of, of a gift than the gift that God gives us in His Son, Jesus Christ. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 15, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 talk more about giving than any two chapters in the entire Bible. And so he ends these two chapters with a verse about the greatest gift that's ever given. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and then verse 15 says this, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The indescribable gift there, almost all commentators agree, is Jesus. The idea of being indescribable means we we can't really capture this gift with just words. 
But this morning, I want to take it like a diamond and turn it and see four different aspects of this indescribable gift. You can remember these four points by the acrostic or acronym GIFT. G-I-F-T. The G stands for the greatness of God. If Jesus had not become God in the flesh, we would not know the full greatness of God. Now, I, I want to be honest here, because there are certain things we would know about God apart from the coming of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The idea here is, is that just from looking at nature, apart from Jesus Christ, you, you look around and, and there's evidence here that there is a God and He has to be powerful. I have a friend who's an atheist uh, working on a doctorate in physics, and I asked him about intelligent design. And he said he didn't believe it. And I said, well, you know, one of the things that convinces me there has to be an intelligent designer is the brain. Then this guy, who's so much smarter than me, goes on for 20 minutes about the incredible complexity of the brain. And I wanted to say, so? (laughs) I mean, there's obviously a designer behind this. So so we would know certain things, but that knowledge would be very limited. Jesus lets us know there is a God who hates sin, who loves justice and fairness. He lets us know that there is a God who loves us with a love that's really beyond our comprehension and that He has a plan to rescue us from that sin. And bring us into a relationship with God that was the original design. I like the way this is expressed in John chapter 14. John 14 is when Jesus was talking for the last time with the disciples before he's about to go to the cross. He teaches them some some significant things there, but what I particularly like here is the questions that come up. Philip asked a question, John 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for so long, now listen to this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You know who Jesus is, and you know who the Father is. He reflects perfectly who the Father is. Jesus had to become God in the flesh so we would understand the greatness of God's love, the greatness of His plan to rescue us. We wouldn't have known that. We would still be in ignorance. There was a a couple. The wife was a committed believer. The husband, he didn't believe any of that stuff. He thought the old story of of God becoming a human being, it was mythology. It was ridiculous. So they celebrated Christmas Eve in very different ways. The wife loved to go to the church on Christmas Eve, sing the Christmas carols, hear about God becoming a human being born in a manger, growing up, dying for us. She loved that. 
Now he, on the other hand, didn't want to go. He didn't want to hear the story about God becoming a man, that, that, that mythology, that, that fairy tale. He didn't want to hear it again. So he stayed home. He was especially glad about that decision when that evening, much like our Christmas Eve was, it started, it started snowing something fierce. It was coming down. It was a blowing, cold Christmas Eve. And when his wife walked out to the car and he stayed behind, he was happy about the decision. He went to his chair by the fire, took a good book and started reading. You could look out. They had a big picture window and you could look out the picture window and you could see the snow coming down. It was great from inside, but he was glad he wasn't outside. So he started reading and suddenly in the middle of his reading, he hears that sound. And if he looks up just in time to see, a bird has flown into the window, trying to get out from the cold into the warmth by the fire. So he immediately runs out, and there's the bird stunned in the snow below the picture window. So he goes over and tries to pick up the bird, but as soon as the bird sees the man, it's terrified. And, and it starts flittering away and finally flies off. Ah! So frustrated. But he goes back inside. It's too cold to stay out there. He stands right by the curtains, looking out the window, thinking, you know, the bird did it once. Maybe the bird will do it again. He would be ready. But after 10 or 15 minutes, he gave up. Went back to reading his book. He'd forgotten all about the bird when he heard again. This time, he knew exactly what it was. He jumped up, ran out the door, and there was the bird, stunned in the snow and maybe injured. So, so he starts to kneel down and pick it up, but as soon as the bird sees him, again, the bird's terrified, so the bird is flittering off. And he's trying to grab it with his hands in the snow, but the bird keeps going out of reach and finally flies off. Ah! He's so frustrated. He said, you foolish bird! I'm just trying to help you. He goes back inside. He stands right by the curtain. He figures the bird's done it twice. I'll bet the bird will do it again. He stands there and waits and waits and waits. And finally, his patience is rewarded. The bird flies into the window a third time. So this time, he is out on the porch just about the time the bird hits the snow. And the bird's clearly not just stunned, but injured. So he, he kneels down in the snow and he reaches into the snow and he picks up the bird gently. But the bird, still frightened to death, begins to flitter away. He, he keeps crawling, hands and knees on the snow, trying to, and several times, has the bird in his hand, but the bird flitters away. And finally, the bird gains enough composure that it, it's gone. Now he's furious. Ah! You foolish, foolish bird! I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to rescue you. And then, out loud, he says, if I could just become a bird for a few minutes, I could explain to the bird what I'm doing. And suddenly, it hit him. That's what God did in sending Jesus God in the flesh. He could explain to God wasn't trying to hurt us. He was trying to rescue us. Jesus explains to us who God is 
He is God in the flesh. And to see Him is to understand God. He has a plan to rescue us. To get us out of the darkness and cold. He explains to us the greatness of God. But there's something else He does. He identifies with us. That's the eye. He identifies with us. I think probably this is reflected as well as any, anywhere in Scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15. In this section, in this section, Jesus is pictured as the high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the highest religious official. He is actually a picture of Jesus. So when I read high priest here, I want you to think Jesus. No. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus understands. You ever had somebody stab you in the back? Jesus had Judas. You ever had people not believe in you? None of Jesus' family. None of his brothers and sisters believed in him. People he had built into for over two years. When it came to the critical moment, they were gone. I mean, he understands. Three years, he was homeless. <laughs> no place to lay his head. You, you can't say something that's happened to you that Jesus can't say, hey, I understand. I've been there. Not the exact thing, but he understands. See, I, I think this is of incredible value to us to come to somebody who understands us, knows what we're going through. Just a little boy, first grader. He was about two weeks late getting to school because they'd moved to a new city. And this was his first day. All the other kids knew each other, and he was so scared. This was his first day to be away from his mom. He goes in, and that day, the teacher is telling them about one of our great presidents, Abraham Lincoln. He's telling them all about him being president in the Civil War and what the Civil War was. Goes through all of this. And then she turns to the class, and she says, if Abraham Lincoln could be here today and you could ask him one question, what would you ask him? And the little boy who was brand new, first day away from home, raises his hand. Teacher calls on him. He says, I'd like to know if Abraham Lincoln was afraid the first day he went to school. <laughs> Do you want to know that your leaders understand what you're going through? Jesus understands. Not only does he understand, but he weaved through the temptations without sin. He can help. That's why the next verse says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. One commentator said, In time of need is the idea of in the nick of time. Right when we need it. Jesus, God in the flesh, shows us the greatness of God. Jesus, God in the flesh, identifies with us. But Jesus, God in the flesh, also 
offers us forgiveness. That's the F. Forgiveness. There are a hundred places we could go to see this. I want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The reason I'm choosing this verse is it so concisely uh, tells us of what Jesus' mission was. Listen to this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The righteous Jesus for the unrighteous you and me. It's amazing to me that God would be willing to forgive anything that we've done, no matter how horrendous, no matter how often. You'll come to me and I'll offer you forgiveness so I can bring you back into the designed relationship you are meant to have with God. But only Jesus can do that. In Russia, the very last bazaar was Nicholas II. He had an unusual habit. They would inspect bases. That wasn't unusual, but he would go a day early. He would dress up like a low-ranking officer so he could get a feel of what was really happening on the base. This particular base had heard the rumors that they were going to be inspected. And everybody was scrambling around making sure things were right. Where they were going to do an audit of the books. The bookkeeper was a young guy. His father had forced him into the military because he was so irresponsible. He had a gambling problem. He had gotten himself in big trouble. So his father thought, going into the military, it will cause him to grow up. And the military and their great wisdom made him an accountant in charge of all the finances for the whole base. He continued his gambling, went through his salary fast, and embezzled from the base. To be fair to him, his plan was to pay it back from his winnings, but that didn't happen. And the hole kept getting deeper and deeper. He knew there was going to be an inspection. He knew there was going to be an audit. So he went into his office that night when he was all alone and he opened up the books. He added up how much he'd embezzled. He was overwhelmed. It was more than he thought. By a lot. He wrote at the bottom of the ledger, so great a debt, who can repay? He took his revolver out. He put it up to his head. But he couldn't find the courage to pull the trigger. Emotionally, mentally exhausted, he put his head on the table. The gun was sitting right by his head. He fell asleep. Nicholas dressed as a low-ranking officer saw the light on in the office, walked over and opened up the door. He saw the young man with a gun sitting on the table. He saw the ledger open, and immediately he surmised what was going on. The next day, the young man woke up. He heard voices outside. He knew they would be here any minute. He picked up the gun with a renewed commitment to end his life and he held it to his head. He looked down at the ledger one last time and he saw what he had written, so great a debt who could repay. But then he saw something else. Written underneath it was paid in full, Nicholas, Tsar of Russia. He paid the debt. That's what Jesus does for us. 
He pays the debt. He's the only one who has the resources to pay our debts because of what His Son did on the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, shows us the greatness of God. He identifies with us. He offers us forgiveness. But there's one last aspect I'd like to explore. That's the key in gift. He leads us in a triumphant life. I, I like the way Jesus puts it in that classic passage, John 10, verse 10. Jesus is showing Himself to be the good shepherd. He talks about how the thief comes to still and kill and destroy. But in the last part of verse 10, He says, I have come that they may have life, may have it to the full. What he's saying here is, my design for your life is that it might be full and rich and meaningful. The way it was designed to be. Peter, who was Jesus' leader and his disciples, uh, he says something that I think is particularly significant. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and goodness. Jesus has provided everything that we need. Everything. When I was in graduate school studying Bible, we had to read a seven-volume systematic theology by Lewis Ferry Chafer. I remember one particular section where it talks about all the things that happen to us at the moment of salvation. I can't remember the number, but it was something like a hundred things that happen that change us. I want to give you a couple. When you and I enter a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we have the right to enter into the throne of grace to present to God anything we need. And He hears us. Now, I don't mean you can't pray before you enter that relationship, but you have no right of access to God unless you're with the Son. Let me illustrate that. Two brothers. They served in the Union Army during the Civil War. One of the brothers fell asleep on sentry duty. Now, that's a serious offense during wartime. He was tried, convicted, and was sentenced to be shot. His brother asked for a leave of absence. The only recourse he had was to get a pardon from the president. So he went to Washington, D.C. to beg for a pardon for his brother. Now, in those days, you could actually, actually walk right into the White House. But there were like four secretaries or receptionists between you and Abraham Lincoln. So he goes up to the first one and he pleads his case. And she says, I'm so sorry, but the president can't see you today. His schedule is full. Come back tomorrow. Well, this happened three or four days. And finally, it came to the point that if he didn't get the pardon today, it would be too late. And so he goes back. He asks her. She says no. He explains the whole story. And she says, I'm so sorry. Very sympathetic, but very firm. The president can't see you. 
He walks down the steps of the White House. Slowly it's sinking in. His brother's going to die. He failed him. He sits down on a stone bench in front of the White House. His tears start coming to his eyes and he puts his head in his hand and he's sobbing. And a little boy comes and sits beside him. And he says, what's wrong, mister? And I don't know why. Maybe it's because nobody else would listen to him. But he tells the little boy the whole story of his brother falling asleep, of he's going to be shot. He came to see the president to get a pardon. The whole story. And the little boy says, maybe I can help. And he grabs the soldier by the hand and pulls him up the steps of the White House. The receptionist looks up and sees them, but it's almost like she doesn't see the soldiers there. And and they walk right past her. Then past the second, then the third. And they're before the, the secretary, the private secretary of the President of the United States. She looks up. And again, it's like she doesn't see him. And they walk right into the office of Abraham Lincoln. He makes his request. He's granted his part. Now, you're probably ahead of me. That little boy is Todd Lincoln, the son of the President of the United States. He had access. And the soldier had access only because he was with the son. You and I have access to the father because we know the son. And that gives us entrance into the throne of grace. Let me give you just one more. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to give you joy. John 15. I'll give you the joy I have with the Father. That was my experience when I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I went from from being depressed and suicidal to having an incredible joy. And when I walk with God today, I have that joy. When I don't, the joy is not so much there. (laughs) But God changes our attitude. During the 1800s, there was a gold rush in California. Thousands of people went to hunt for their fortune, but very few of them found it. But there were two guys. They came down a river mining, panning for gold, and they they found a particular spot that was rich in gold. And and they decided they would go back and make sure it was real gold, get some supplies and come back. But they, they made a vow to each other. Don't tell anyone or they'll come and get our gold. So they... They took off. They got their supplies. They checked with the the official. It was real gold. And they started back. On the way back, there were like two dozen people following them. And the one guy turns to the other and says, you told somebody. He says, I swear, I didn't tell anybody. You must have told somebody. He said, no, I didn't tell anybody. So they, they turned to one of the people following them and said, how did you know? And they said, the smile on your face gave you away. When you find gold like that, you're happy. It's hard to hide it. When you find Jesus Christ and He's in the right place in your life, it's hard not to be happy, no matter what the circumstance. This is the indescribable gift. He shows us the greatness of God and His plan. He identifies with us. gives us forgiveness. And He leads us in the triumphant life. Let me move this from lecture into life. Three applications. 
One, if you've never received this gift, receive it. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's sin that separates you. Jesus paid for that sin. You can say to God this morning something like this, Father, I know I've been going the wrong direction. I believe your son Jesus died for me. Right now I turn and put my faith in him. Come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. At that moment, you become a child of God. Second, explore this gift. 2010 is right around the corner. Make this your goal for 2010. I am going to learn as much as I can about Jesus. I'd recommend that you read through the Gospel of Mark slowly. Get to know who he is. Third application. Give this gift away. It's the only gift that actually becomes richer when you give it away. We are surrounded by people who do not know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You do. Many of you do. Share that gift with others. For 2010, make a list of five people you'd like to pray for to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ during this next year. That they might know what it is to receive this gift. Let's pray together. Our Father in God, I thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus. I thank you for what He tells us about who you are, of your love, of your plan to rescue us. I thank you that when we come to you, because of Jesus, you understand everything we go through. And I thank you that you offer us forgiveness. Not just forgiveness, but you lead us in a triumphant life, providing everything we need for life and for godliness. God, I pray if there's someone who hasn't received that gift, that they might do that today. That we might, over this next year, get to know what this gift means in our life in a fuller, richer, deeper way. And God, I do want to pray that you would put in our hearts a desire to share you, this gift, with others. For we pray it in Jesus' name.